0: Hello. Hey John. Hi Dan Benjamin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I like uh I like your new technique of saying hello yeah, from far, back in the room. Way back. Hey John. Oh what's up? that's that's so smart. And then you come in and you get that real up close, that proximity effect. Yeah. That's nice. How are you? What's going on? Hmm. Just sitting here, just um just podcasting i haven't podcasted in a while it's very exciting god i miss it i miss it when i don't podcast
1: i don't blame you i do too Mm -hmm. so uh i saw something about a raccoon
0: oh yeah last night there was one on the roof and i think that means that i need to trim trim some trees a little bit the raccoons are getting on the roof it's bad but you know they can kind of get to it from the fence i don't know dan you sure it's a raccoon Oh yeah, well, because I went into the bathroom, and there's a skylight in the bathroom. I turned on the the light, and then I turned it off again, and the raccoon came over to the skylight and peered down. Oh. And I was, uh, I was at that point, I was standing in the dark, so he may have he may have been able to see me. He may not, but he sat there and kind of we sort of eyeballed each other for a minute.
1: Do they have the same – because I've seen the raccoon eyes reflect the same way that like a cat's eyes do. I think they can see pretty well in the dark.
0: Oh, I'm sure they can. But yeah. they're, they're – you know, he's looking in through through glass or whatever. Um, anyway, so – but I'm not too worried about it. I mean the, the number of critters that I'm constantly battling here um, – I mean I've got I've, – I've got a, a – Basically like an amateur zoological degree, (laughs) Uh, but all I've, all I've really learned is, is how to chase them away, kill them and chase them away. So I'm, uh, maybe I'm, maybe it's more like an exterminator degree. It's more of a community college, technical college exterminator degree that I have. Uh, how's it going down there in Texas? I, I really admire, I have to say, uh, your Instagram barbecue posts.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Every day you've got some beautiful looking barbecue, and and you know up here in Seattle it's just so hard. There is barbecue, but you really have to go on a trek to find it, and even then you don't you don't really get the. Down in the Southwest you just get such good barbecue, but I I notice you really like the beef ribs, and uh, and I I trend toward the pork ribs myself.
1: Uh, basically here that that be, that was a Texas thing, central Texas thing in central Texas. And I'm, I'm sure other places too, but central Texas is known for beef as being part of the barbecue menu that we have our, we have our spare ribs here. We've got our baby back ribs. We've got pulled pork, best pulled pork ever, but, mm. uh, yeah, they, they do beef here. Because we're it's beef country, it's cattle country.
0: Oh, oh beef country, yeah. yeah.
1: So we get we get the beef rib, which I do love, and uh, and also the beef brisket, of course, which I sure. I know is 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 the thing. But yeah, they they do beef ribs around here sometimes, and usually when I'm p- taking pictures over the ones I'm doing myself, which is the beef short rib. But they you can also get like the regular style beef rib, but those things are huge. You need you need some people to help you with that.
0: But, you know, yeah. you, you
1: mentioned with Seattle, I've always been curious what passes for barbecue in Seattle. I, w- I went to uh, Portland and a buddy of mine who, who was picking me up from the airport, he says, well, we're going to go get barbecue. Now, he, he grew up in central Texas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I said, I said, dude, you should know better than to try to take me to a barbecue place in Portland. And I said, it's not going to be any good. He said, actually, he said, guess what? These people are from central Texas and it's a central texas barbecue style joint and i was very skeptical but i said i would love to try it and we went and it was great it was it was legit it's called podnas p o d n a h podnas podnas uh, have you been to podnas uh-huh. lol podnas
0: have you been there uh no i haven't what's the the lol well it's a it's a um you know it's an onomatopoeia or whatever no no that's not what it is. But like it's a you know it's the it's the vernacular spelling of partners.
1: Podnas. 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 Right? I guess that's so. Cute. I never I never thought about it. I just ate there. But it's, hey, re- Padna. Hey, Padna. it's very Texas Podna. Yeah podna. Oh geez, I'm dumb for <laughs> never hearing that.
0: <laughs> we that's very Portland. Uh but, but then it's good, everything- it's good. Everything is very Portland. Even saying that's very Portland is very Portland.
1: Yeah. But I'll tell you I, what. Uh, I'll tell you what, John. The yeah. Next time that you come down this way, we'll hit all the the good barbecue places.
0: Yeah, well, I hope so. I I um there is a barbecue place here in Seattle called Jack's Barbecue. And Jack is a guy from Texas. Uh you get the sense that I mean, Jack's a tall handsome guy. Mhm. He came up here. I don't know how a person comes to Seattle and starts a barbecue restaurant, and it's an instant hit. And it's basically like all they can do they they buy smokers by you know like they're scouring the country for smokers big enough to make the barbecue they need to uh, serve the you know, the wall of customers that comes in.
1: He says on his like, website, Jack's barbecue is based on the barbecue style started in butcher shops in central Texas in the late 1800s, beef and pork, mm-hmm. salt and pepper rubs smoked low and slow over hardwoods like post oak, mesquite stuff. hickory served yep. on butcher paper. Yes, yeah, he's doing it. Correct.
0: Yep. And he, you know, Jack, Jack's got a, a Texas accent that he really, really lays on pretty thick. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, so there was a restaurant. So, there's a there's a road in Seattle called Airport Way, and it's the uh, we had an airport we had an airport here in Seattle pretty early on, right? Because we were we were aviation pioneers uh, because of the Boeing Company, and you know air, airplanes meant a lot to us from an early time. So there was a south of town in what had formerly been the kind of alluvial plain of the Duwamish <laughs> River. Oh my God. There was a large flat. Kind of swampy area that was a strawberry farm that was owned by an Italian guy. Uh, there were a lot of you know early Italian immigrants here in Seattle, and this guy o- owned you know uh, however many acres, you know five hundred thousand acres or something of just sort of flat river bottom that he grew strawberries and peppers and so forth. And he donated it to the city uh, as the site of our airport, our brand new airport, and so Boeing Field was laid out there on this uh, on this sort of flat swamp. And, uh, you know, that's where the Boeing plant was. That's where all the World War II, you know, B-17s were manufactured. And so there's this road called Airport Way, which leads out to the original airport. Now, that's not our airport now. We built SeaTac, which is short for Seattle-Tacoma Airport. We built that way out on, on a hilltop sort of, out of town. That's a big airport. Damn. They can they can take a lot of different airplanes. You can land you can land three seven forty sevens at the same time. All at That's once? Stacked. Oh yeah. They got three separate runways side by side. You can stand there and watch the jets come in and they just land like right next to each other. It's real it's real it's cute as hell. So Boeingfield now is just this uh you know it's this kind of orphan airport It gets used for a lot of corporate jets, frankly. But Airport Way is uh, is this long, lonely stretch of road, and it's uh, what what once would have been called the industrial area. I see. Right there, there's little little shops, people that are making carburetor parts. This guy over here, you know, this there's a shop. uh, There's actually like a like a uh, smelter Mm. where they take old iron bits and throw them into a furnace and turn them into ingots. And it's just sitting there. Nobody even really knows it's there. It's just over by the railroad tracks. But airport way is my secret road or one of my secret roads. It's not a secret. Everybody knows it's there. But when the freeway is all jammed up, you can usually get down airport way pretty easily. Well, there used to be a restaurant on airport way called Bogart's (laughs) and Bogart's had a picture of Humphrey Bogart and it was a, it was just a bar on a stretch of road that had nothing else. It was a bar. And I love bars like this. Road houses basically are what they are, right? Where there's no way to get to this bar except by car. So by it's very nature, if you have been there for more than about an hour and a half, you're a drunk driver. Right, They can't be in this bar for longer than about a drink and a half mm-hmm. without just intrinsically being a problem because you you had to drive there. And you're going to have to drive away from there. So unless you're the type of person that has three or four drinks and then spends three more hours in a bar not drinking, just playing pool or whatever, it's a pretty safe assumption that you're going to roll out of there blowing a two. <laughs> So Bogart's was like a, Bogart's was, you know, it was a shit bar. Uh, and they actually had bands. They tried to have bands play there <laughs> at one point. There was, the thing about Bogart's is that there was a Bogart's, it, a, the original Bogart's was in town, it was on Eastlake, and that was a shit bar, and the and my band, the Bun Family Players, actually played at that Bogart's. The Bogarts on Airport Way. Uh, no, it was just it was like a place where you'd get into a fight with a pool kid. Anyway, one day <laughs> Bogarts went away. And it was the type of thing when when Bogarts went away it was like how did Bogarts survive all that time? Yeah, I wasn't surprised that it went away. I was surprised that it had lasted. Right. But it was down in that area people making carburetor parts like, you know, it's on the way from hither to thither. Sure, you're going to pull in and have a Boilermaker or two with your with your pals anyway Bogart's goes away and then all of a sudden poof Jack's barbecue arrives in the Bogart space and I because I travel this road I saw Jack's barbecue go in and I was like hmm that seems like something I'm gonna have to go in and try so I went into Jack's barbecue within a day or two of it opening and I'll be darned if it wasn't pretty great. They do Frito Pie. They make chili with the with the uh the short ends of all the ribs, so it's all chunky. I mean you could just survive on the chili alone. Yeah,
1: yeah. See, I'm not a big chili person.
0: Well, this doesn't even it doesn't even read as chili. I mean it it's just like it's so chunky with barbecue parts. Were there beans yeah. in the chili? i don't I don't even know it's it's got like it's got brisket in it it feels it feels a lot heartier than a chili, but you know I'm a big chili person I eat a lot of chili I didn't really know that is that right I don't think I knew that no chili is a big part of my i i I eat a lot of chili and partly it's because i'm consumed with regret. <laughs> Uh, when I was a kid in Alaska, chili was one of the, you know, the primary, primary foods that they serve you at the ski resort. It's cheap and it's warm, you know, right. and it sure. fills you up. So at the ski resort, when we were kids, everything had chili on it. And I didn't like chili because I didn't like beans. I didn't want to eat a bean. Kind of for the same reason I don't like potatoes.
1: I just don't like the mealy texture. I'm with you on the beans. I'm not a big fan of beans. Certainly not in chili, but just in general. Well, as I got older, I discovered that
0: the mealiness of beans, I didn't mind that much. I still don't eat potatoes, but the kind of like little, uh, the little nubbin that is a bean, the little mealy nubbin, that's what they should have been called. (laughs) It turned out I liked it okay. (laughs) And then I realized that chili is this incredible, like hamburger and shredded cheese delivery device. It's basically hamburger and shredded cheese in spaghetti sauce with these mealy nubbins. And I was hit like a thunderbolt in my 20s, I've been missing out all those years, all those incredible chili burgers that my friends were eating while I was turning up my nose at them and having a grilled cheese sandwich. Right. Like what a dummy was I? And so ever since then, chili's been one of my fundamental foods because because I'm trying to recapture all those lost chili burgers sure. from the 1970s and 80s.
1: Do you consider, I mean, do you consider chili to be Part of when you think of barbecue, do you think of chili? No. Separate thing. I mean we should we should be very careful. We should actually as a public service announcement, for those who have not who don't really I, I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia. Barbecue growing up meant there would be hot dogs and burgers on a grill. That was barbecue. That's grilling or cook having a cookout. Yeah. Barbecue is a very, very different thing. And, and anybody who says, hey, we're having a barbecue in my house on Saturday, I can tell you that you're not. You're actually not having a barbecue. You're having a cookout or you're grilling. A,
0: a cookout, a I cookout. see.
1: Be, basically. Or
0: you're, or you're grilling.
1: Or you're grilling. But you're grilling. definitely not having a barbecue because a barbecue involves lots and lots of smoke, very, very uh, lots of wood, a very low heat. And a very, very long, long period of time for the cooking. So yes. it it typically when I smoke meat, uh, if anything less than six hours, there's nothing coming off of that. You know what I mean? Like that's the bare minimum is six hours. If you want to do a if you wanna do like a pork shoulder for pulled pork or or a brisket, mm-hmm. that's that's twelve to sixteen hours. Oh, that's so, a lot of hours. Yeah. So like you're not and there's babysitting it and other things you're doing that whole time. It you're you're not having a a barbecue and people coming over like, where's the food? Oh, it's only two, probably eleven more hours before it'll be out, but we can play another game of cards. Right. No No, you're,
0: you're talking about a you're talking about a cookout or you're grilling. Right. Right. That's when you throw some shrimps on the Barbie. Right. Throw some wieners on there, wiener dogs. Wiener dogs burgers ve- vegan burgers for you now you're having a cookout or you're grilling
1: that's a cookout or grilling it's not barbecue not so anytime barbecue. someone says oh i'm barbecuing oh i can't wait to have that steak i i don't know what they're talking about they're talking oh about- yeah no you can't even
0: tell what they're talking about it's you're nonsense. like what the hell are you talking about that's right get out yeah
1: uh-huh you're smoking meats that's right it's very different
0: yeah when you say smoking meats i always have to loll a little bit because yeah. it's a little close to stuff that we used to say back in the old days about smoking meats
1: uh, <laughs> back in your in your uh in your your serious college days
0: yeah in the college days yeah uh all of that seems fine fine and dandy but it's 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 very true for me uh and particularly given a, that I've grown up in in a city where there is a a great variety of some of the world's great foods here right i can go I can travel from Ethiopia to Bangkok and everywhere in between in, in, a, in a few short minutes here in Seattle. I can choose one from column A and one from column B. I can have every kind of food here. That to spend 12 hours babysitting some like smoky cow part in a, in a trash can just seems like an awful lot of work for what ends up being some food that I would like. It's so good, right? That I would just scarf it. I would just scarf it down. And it always feels like, it always feels like that's an effort that I would rather offshore to somebody like, for instance, (laughs) Jack over there at Jack's barbecue. Sure. He can hire some guy with a, with a giant broom covered with salt and pepper to go babysit this, this uh, smoke pot, while I'm doing other things, and I can still go in and get the delicious food. But 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 something something in the uh, act of preparing it, something in the methodical, the, the 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 care that you take in in cooking this beef, it has to be the process has to be just as important as the result. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. And, and and what are you getting out of that? Like you could be building model trains right. or you could be, you know, working with your – I mean all these other things that men of your age do, right? Like working with a wireless – like building a crystal set or
1: uh, – <laughs> Like a radio, like an old-fashioned yeah, crystal yeah. radio, sure. Or like waxing your car or – Is that what I people our age are doing?
0: Oh no, You know, I i just – its that's what people our age did – back when I was young and wondered what people our age do. Hmm. My sense of people our age now is that they watch a lot of TV and play video games. Yeah, I think like you're right. Like everybody else, right? Um, but yeah, the last time I heard of anybody building a crystal set was a really long time ago. And I feel like I used to hear about it all the time. <laughs> Maybe that's, you know, I was talking to my good friend Ben earlier today. He sent me a picture of a bike he just recently bought. And it was a Schwinn, uh, with a banana seat. He bought a vintage Schwinn and, uh, and he was saying like, Oh, you know, it's really cool. It was, it's a a vintage Schwinn just like the one that I had when I was a kid, except he has the, um, he got the one with the gear shift on it anyway. So he was saying, Oh yeah. Banana seats were really uncool when I was a kid. And I think of Ben as a peer, right? A contemporary, but he's yeah, six, seven years or younger than I am. You get to be middle aged, right? And your friends are all kind of, you know, when you're 20, your friends are basically 19 to 22 and the 22 year olds, you're like, wow, he's really old. And the 19 year olds like, oh, I don't know. He's pretty young.
1: <laughs> but now, you know, right, there's a huge difference between like 20 and 23. That's, oh. You're totally different people.
0: Oh, different. It's like 23. My God, he's like already graduated, like in graduate school. 23-year-olds in graduate
1: school. <laughs> like I can't hang out with them. I've got nothing in common anymore.
0: Yeah, he's in graduate school. He's just like so far, so far away. Now I'm 48 and my friend group is from about 59 to 35, right? right. I'm just – I know everybody in there and they're all – Now, the ones that are like 30 feel pretty young. 30-year-olds feel pretty young. Yeah. But, you know, you get to be 35. You got your stuff pretty much figured out, kind of, I guess, depending. Anyway, so Ben's in his 40s, right? And if you're in your 40s, it feels like, yeah, sure. But he's telling me that banana seats, super uncool when he was a kid. And I remember this transition, and I think probably, Dan, you're on the other side of this wall, too. It's so funny, all these little generational walls. I remember when the transition went to BMX. I do, too. And every, everybody was riding BMX all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And banana seats couldn't be – banana seats were like the bell-bottoms of bike seats. <laughs> you did not show up in bell-bottoms, and you did not show up on a banana seat bike. And I still had my old blue Schwinn with my banana seat, and I'd had a flag on it. And it had <laughs> – and it had a it had a, a siren on it that I got at the a very cool siren at the drugstore that would sounded like a police siren and it had a little microphone that I could say like breaker one nine into. <laughs> and it had I'm uh, you know, I am old enough that it had a, a playing card uh, in the spokes. In the spokes so, that yeah. it, so that it sounded like a motorcycle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, BMX and most of the kids my age made the transition. They went and got BMX bikes. And I felt like I felt like it was regressive because BMX bikes seemed like they were for kids. And so I made the immediate transition to 10 speed. Mm, I went from you b-
1: skipped the c- skip the whole BMX thing.
0: Skipped the BMX thing. I went immediately to 10 speed. And then I was the ding a ling who was out with five friends on BMX bikes, and I'm like on the 10 speed. Like that it was so lame. I was such a
1: did I was you flip? A did, all you needed to do was flip the handlebars up instead no, of down. So then no. you do that on your on your uh, ten speed, and you're all right.
0: No, the handlebars up is for people that like wear a top hat, right around. No,
1: no, you could put the handles up, and then that meant you were sort of like. Riding up, laid back, you know?
0: No, that was not what I was going to do. I was not going to flip those handlebars up. I was a serious – I was I was a college-bound person. I was no. not somebody that's riding around with his dumb
1: handlebars backwards. I never did that, but I I saw people do that. I always thought it was uh, it was all right.
0: Oh, well, see, but you're from Philadelphia. I mean, everybody there was wearing high-water pants and giant <laughs> afros and riding around with their handlebars backwards.
1: <laughs> kind of. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, the BMXs, they were great. We had so much fun doing little ramps and jumps and riding around up things and crashing. I had more fun on a BMX than, than on any bike before or since, I think. It is time for a quick sponsor. If you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, listen up. There is an upcoming conference called Gateway 17, which is hosted by Alibaba. Now, Alibaba, if you don't know, This is essentially the Chinese version of Amazon combined with Google. It's huge. They connect everything from inventory to marketing, from translation and payment to shipping and returns. You supply the product. They do the rest. Now you're thinking, I don't have a product. I would like to have a product, but I don't have one. Okay. They've got that too. Tons and tons, thousands, thousands of Thousands of products, in fact. And you can get free samples. You get great prices and quality assurance. They can even make custom stuff for you. And they have hundreds of millions of shoppers. So Alibaba, they get you the access and they make it easy. They have this huge marketplace. And now they're waiting for businesses like U.S. businesses like ours to fill the demand. Now the conference, Gateway 17, is set up specifically to help you tap into that market the Chinese market with 500 million consumers, more than the entire US population, actively buying stuff there. This is a two day event. It is in Detroit, June 20th to 21st. They've got amazing speakers. They got Jack Ma. They got David Abney, he's the CEO of UPS. They got Charlie Rose. This is a big deal. This is a great event. And to be honest, it's a little bit expensive. It's $500. Now, that's probably, you're thinking that's a lot of money to spend. That's fine. But you're a listener of the show. So guess what? You get 75% off, 125 bucks. That makes it much more reasonable. Even just I, for me, just going and getting to hear like Charlie Rose and, and those folks talk would be worth 125 bucks. But We get a lot more and prices are going to go up at the end of May. So you've got to get in on this. It's gateway one, seven, G-A-T-E-W-A-Y, gateway 17, gateway one, com. You enter the code road, R-O-A-D road when you sign up. And you'll get that special discount. So thanks again. Don't miss this. It's pretty cool. Gateway17.com. Code road.
0: Here's, here's my my fatal error. Sometime in ninth grade, after spending two years riding this awkward 10-speed <laughs> while everybody else was BMXing with my Schwinn in the garage. Right. I said, I got to get a BMX bike. I'm so far behind. How
1: old were you at this point? Ninth grade. What is that, like uh, four, 14, 15?
0: No, I 13? was young for my grade. So, yeah, thir- 13 maybe. I don't remember. 13, 14, 15, 16, Yeah, something like that. 13, Thirteen, Between 13 and 14. Okay. And I bought a Schwinn BMX bike out of the classified ads for 50 bucks and it was pretty knackered, but it was cool. It had black. It didn't have. Uh, it didn't have spokes. It had black, like you know, like the wheels had eight spokes instead of fifty-eight. You know what I mean? Like they were big spokes, big black. Yeah, I,
1: I get it. Spokes. They were. They were like, um, almost like modern-day rims in a way, maybe.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. right.
1: Okay, I know what you're talking and, about.
0: And uh, the bike was silver. It was cool looking, I thought. But so I get this BMX bike, and I roll up right at the point where everybody else is making the transition to, to road bikes. And so now I'm the guy riding around with my friends and they're all on 10 speeds, hauling ass or 12 speeds even. And I'm like standing up to pedal, trying to catch up on this BMX bike that I had no pedigree on. It's not like I was the BMX guy who was like loyal to his BMX bike. I had just recently gotten one. I didn't even know how to ride it. I couldn't even, I couldn't bunny hop. I couldn't do anything on it. I was just, now I'm just chasing my friends and they're like on to some other bike adventure. And it was, and I made one more bike mistake after that, which was I bought a racing bike, a Centurion and tried to get like, uh, like, okay, this is it. No, no, that's, I didn't. I made two more bike mistakes. I bought this Centurion and uh, it was like aluminum rims, (laughs) supposed to be really fast. The tire was about as wide as a piece of chalk. And uh, I got up and started to, you know, I stood up to like crank up a hill. Right. And I bent both the rims (laughs) just from the F, just from the force of like, I'm, you know, I'm cranking up this hill like side to side and the uh, and both rims just like blark, warped warped <sighs> so i was like okay i can't ride this this is del- this bike is too delicate and then i went a couple of years and just was like i'm not riding bikes now and then mountain bikes came in which was the next new
1: yes mountain bikes absolutely. worst the worst idea ever unless you're then, actually in a mountain <laughs>
0: totally like, here they are. Now it's the new thing. Bike technology just kept changing so fast. And I was like, what is this mountain bike? And everybody was like, oh, it's perfect for Alaska. This is what we should have had all along. It's like a BMX bike, but for grownups. And I was like, okay, I can do this. I can go one more time. Oh my God, Dan, I'm trying to tell you, this is my last bike mistake, but I made another one on top of this. I got a mountain bike, again, from the classified ads which all of my friends immediately agreed was not actually a, a real mountain bike it okay. was like a it was like a specialized like a hybrid one yeah it wasn't a stump jumper it was a you know it was like a bump jumper or something it wasn't didn't have i couldn't tell but there was something about the frame geometry that made everybody you know feel like it was a dad bike <laughs> and then i was like okay i can't I can't live in this world where I'm the one on a dad bike. Everybody else got a stump jumper and I just have this like lump jumper. I need a real mountain bike. And at this point in bike craze hell, nobody could quite figure out the bike designers could not decide what the, what was the best frame geometry for a mountain bike? Because if you had, a low seat that was great for going downhill, but going uphill, you didn't have the power of sitting on your seat and cranking. Right, right. You had to you had to stand up to to get up hills. It was great for going downhill because it kept your center of gravity low. And so this bike company called Haro, H-A-R-O, built a mountain bike frame that where the seat – oh, this is so hilarious. I don't even know if you could find this if you looked for it. But the seat the, – the, the frame was built with an extra triangle where it put the seat way up high over the handlebars so that when you were going up a steep hill – Sitting on the seat, your handlebars would be perfectly level with you, <laughs> so that you That's could just strange. you could just motor up hills just like and your and your your uh, your body geometry would be perfectly flat. But then on downhills, you were so far out over your handlebars, like you were it, you it was it was felt so perilous. It was. It was crazy, right? It, it, the geometry was so bad going downhills that it was like a, you were a danger. It was a danger. <laughs> you, you wanted to endo immediately. Like if you hit a tiny thing, you just wanted to go right over the handlebars because you were so far out over. And it was like, oh, these guys sitting around drawing frames in their notebooks completely missed the point of what mountain biking really is, which is nobody wants to ride uphill. Everybody wants to ride downhill. That's the fun like, who cares if it's hard to get uphill? It's hard no matter what you do. You want to be, you want to have fun going downhill. Anyway, so this friend of mine, John Barnhart, who was an early adopter of everything, he bought this Haro for himself. It didn't fit him at all. And then he switched and bought some super cool light frame, like low seat, hot rod mountain bike. And he sold me the Haro. And I. So now we're riding around, John Barnhart, on this really cool, like, thing where his butt is way down by his back tire, <laughs> and I'm on this Frankenstein-like praying mantis bike frame. I'm already right, I'm I'm a foot and a half taller than Barnhart anyway, and now I'm on this giant. It was like, ugh, we really, we really were a pair. That
1: bike got stolen. Hmm. Thank God. Yeah, no, I agree with you about the mountain bikes. So, what a terrible, terrible idea those things were.
0: Well, you're you're going to go even now and say mountain bikes are a terrible thing? They're like the number one bike.
1: Yeah, I think I think they're terrible. I can th- find them to be the most uncomfortable riding experience ever. You are against mountain bikes. Well, Not against them, but I mean, for myself, I I've, I've had several of them. They're terrible. Do you have a bike now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You ride a bike currently? No, it's a mountain bike. And you have a mountain on, bike? Yes, it's hanging on the hook in the garage, and I haven't I haven't touched it in eight, nine, ten years. My wife had the idea that we should go get mountain bikes. Right. You know, 12 years ago. Right. And so, I, because there, there were all these mountain bike trails all around out in Florida that we were in. and So, I said, all right, yeah, we'll go get them, and. We got them, and I think we went on the trail a couple times, and I just hate, I hate them. 10 speeds, great. Uh-huh. 12 or whatever they are now, 16, I guess. They don't make a 10-speed bike anymore. But whatever whatever you would call one of the lightweight racing bikes with the curved handlebars, those yeah. things, yeah. Um, I guess it's a 16-speed or, or whatever they call them. Those are I, fine. I, I would say racing bike. A racing bike. I had a Nishiki racing bike in high school.
0: You like those with the tiny little seat and the and the rims that bend.
1: I never I never bent the rims. Um, Nobody does. I don't know what my problem was, <laughs> but I did wreck on one pretty bad. Oh, that's right. You can you can get hurt on them. Oh yeah. I mean my my problem was uh, you know they had at the time they had something called toe clips. Yeah. Now the the nice racing bikes they have now, I think you wear a special shoe and the shoe has a thing on the bottom that connects directly into the into the pedal. And so that way you get torque when you're pedaling up as well as pedaling down and yeah, uh, and all of that. But it's the, the
0: shoe that you wear. If you walk into a cafe and you're wearing one of those shoes <laughs> and everybody's like, "Oh,
1: great. Yeah, like this guy." Yeah. Well, the cheap college version of those were just these clips that sort of went on around the um around the pedal
0: oh that was just early technology it wasn't like a cheaper version it wasn't of it. that was just that was just what they had first before they realized that they could sell people shoot special shoes and
1: right. pedals well i had those and i was riding on a uh, on a bike path and it turned out that that the grass that had grown up alongside of the bike path uh was a little bit misleading uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it There's was a trap yeah and and the grass had grown up probably about a foot but it looked like it was just had been mowed to the same level as the bike path so uh, uh-huh. I was uh, I was riding and I had for some reason had to go off the bike path maybe to let somebody buy or something like that and mm-hmm. I went over the edge of it and I would have been f- fine I mean I would have been more fine than I was if it hadn't have been for that sudden you know, probably 12 inch drop Oof. and the bike kind of went over and I kind of went over and because I couldn't sort of like pull my feet straight out, I couldn't sort of stop the crash from happening because, yeah. you know, like you could put your foot down and, and, and mitigate a lot of the, the potential damage, but I couldn't do that. So I screwed up my hand and I landed kind of on my chin and had to get stitches and everything. Ouch! And yeah, I wound up riding uh, the rest of the way. I was on my way to class. I'm not going to not go to class. Sure. So I was I, I was riding to class, and I'm like, man, like, I don't know, why am I so sweaty? And I reached down and and, and like my neck is uh, all wet, and my shirt's wet, and I look at it. and I'm like, well, that's red, wow, uh-huh. and sticky. It must be blood. Yeah, and, and so. I'm continue riding from the, you know, the, the little crappy apartment that my me and my roommates had and uh, ride the rest of the way to campus. Right. You're trying to think like, did I, was, was I eating a popsicle? Right. Like, no, this must be blood. Then I figured I was blood, but, and then, so they had like an on campus little clinic type thing on campus. Right. Of course. And I'd never been to that thing. And so I was just sort of riding around. Everyone was looking at me, and I'm like, "Oh my God, I must have like really be hurt." So finally, I find one girl, and at this point, I think I was just walking the the bike. I found one girl who would like person who would talk to me, and I said, Mm -hmm. "I said, "Uh, where's the clinic?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm actually on my way there now." I said, "Oh, okay. Uh, You know, can you can you lead the way?" And she's like, "Sure." I'm like, "Is this bad?" She said, "Yeah, it's bad." I yeah. said, "You're not freaking out." She's like, "I'm a nursing student." <laughs> so, uh, I went there, and they they panicked in there. Like, they brought a stretcher out and put me on it, and like brought me back, and I, they called a doctor in to do stitches, and it was <laughs> quite. But the scar, you can't really even see it anymore. Uh, but but it, you I, got some stitches. I got some stitches from that oh, stupid nice. bike piece of crap. Dan, how many stitches? do you have how many scars are there on you oh not not that many most of my wounds are are deeply internal um yeah emotional yeah. scars from yeah from childhood that i can hide um not that many probably i don't know a dozen i'm guessing i don't know a dozen yeah. stitches
0: doesn't oh a dozen stitches total not a, not a, dozen, a dozen not a
1: injuries. dozen individual s- battle scars no I I I don't know how many I have not enough to not enough to count.
0: And so did you abandon bike riding at a certain point as an as a pursuit?
1: Yeah, I used to bike all the time. Like I used to ride to and from work for many, many years and to and from class for many years. And I think I just I just quit doing it when probably around the same time that I started to have those lower back issues that we talked about last last time, which is probably about. 10 years ago. I bet I could ride the hell out of a bike now uh, if I wanted to, but I don't. I don't. Well, I have finally made the,
0: what I hope is the last transition. Have you got a new
1: bike? Well, is it an e-bike? Are you one of those electronic bike people? No, no,
0: no, no. I can see you on one. No, I mean, I think about all those things. E-bike, the little hoverboard thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the Segway, you know, the uh, whatever those skateboards are that use one giant rubber wheel in the middle now. Um, Adam Savage, the other day I was down in San Francisco and he we were talking. He was like, OK, we'll see you later. And kind of out of nowhere, I don't know where he had it, but he flipped out some little board, <laughs> threw it down and got on and just started to wheel off down the street. And I was like, that's fucking appropriate. But. <laughs> <laughs> all these little, like uh, you know, these little modes. I'm, I'm intrigued by them all, but but uh, again, I'm I'm not like I'm not about to go buy some buy some wheelie board because it just seems like I don't know. It's like I I don't carry a skateboard around either for sort of the same reason. And maybe that reason is that I'm fine just walking from place to place. That that, it, that never feels like an inconvenience. I'm never like, ah, oh, this stupid walking that I have to do. I wish there was some other mode, some other way that I could just wheel from place to place. But last year I was uh, spending a lot of time down in uh, Southern California with my Millennium girlfriend. And in, uh, in Venice, California, it's very flat. Everyone rides their bikes. Not everyone, right, because it's California there ninety nine percent of the people are still in their cars, but there's this astonishing one point five percent of the people that are actually riding bikes around Venice and so I bought a I got some like nineteen fifty eight Raleigh uh, out of a out of a classified ad, and I liked the fact that it was old and I liked the fact that it was cool you know uh, but it also was. Old, you know, it had like it was too small for me because they didn't make big frames back then. Right, we just all these. So then I was in Seattle and I was walking past a bike store that was one of these newfangled bike stores where they're making their own brand of bikes. And I went in and they had a a one speed bike, which is to say no. It's a no-speed, or I mean, it just has the one gear. It's a, but not a fixie because it has a freewheel. A fixie, you can't, if you
1: pedal backwards, it breaks, right? Well, you pedal, no, uh,
0: a fixie, a fixie, the the rear gear and the front gear are just connected by a chain. So there is no pedaling backwards. Like if you.
1: I always uh, thought that was a kind of bike that where if you if you pedal backwards that it's it's putting the brakes on instead of that having brakes is, on the handlebars
0: that's a kind of inner gear um that is a that's an inner brake that if you pedal backwards the the back tire will continue to spin but you are applying some braking hmm. action to it it's a it is a kind of hub i think whereas a fixie your pedals are moving at the rate of the at the rate of the gear, whether your feet are on them or not, and um, if you apply backwards pressure, I mean you you can you can pedal
1: slower. I think is what you can do on a fixie. A, dry, uh, that's a your, drive train with no freewheel mechanism.
0: Yeah, there's no freewheel. So so all you can do is just try to resist resist the force of forward motion by you know, by applying your, uh, well, uh, your, your feet are glued to the pedals is what it is. And you don't go any faster than you can. You, you really don't go any faster than you can pedal.
1: Now, if you're, if you take your feet off the pedal and the bike is still going do the, do the pedals keep going?
0: Oh yeah. On a
1: fixie. Yeah.
0: Now the thing that I have is not a fixie. It has a, uh, it has a flywheel, which is, which means that If I stop pedaling, I can keep my pedals flat, but the bike will keep rolling, right? Like like everybody. But it only has one speed. So so the challenge of that bike is – I always thought that the challenge would be that you wouldn't have all those low gears that you could use to go up a hill. You switch – you flip all the way down so it's real easy to pedal and go up a hill. And it seemed to me like, wow, without any gears, you're never going to be able to go up a hill. But that's not the case at all. One speed bike is just like the bikes we had as a kid. You go up a hill just fine. You go up a pretty steep hill with one speed. You don't need to shift down. The challenge is if you want to go fast on the flat, you can only go as fast as this one gear that your bike is in. You can't can't switch down to like where you can really crank and get moving. And it became – I realized I had this one-speed bike and all of a sudden it was some sort of zen exercise. <laughs> I could only go so fast, which felt fairly slow. And so I'm pedaling around and it's like, oh, I can't – like I can't really hustle. I, this is as fast as I can hustle now. I guess I'm cool with it. And it really was a – it was a mind game more than anything. It was also cool to realize that you can go up, up hills on one of these – fixie bikes without being a you have to be a super jock it's just like yeah maybe you have to stand up for a second pedal up the hill but eh. anyway so i got into this latest thing by accident almost which is the cruiser bike which is the cruiser yeah you sit up kind of high you got a basket on the front it's basically like the bikes that my dad, like the Schwinn Suburban, the bikes that my dad rode in the 70s. You know, it's a real upright posture, kind of curved back, flat handlebars, a uh, basket and, you know, and a bell. Ding, ding. You know, you're like, uh, it's you should have a uh, a loaf of French bread.
1: <laughs> and then a you little know? basket just in the sitting in the front. This is a little paper bag.
0: Yeah. A little bottle, bottle of, wine. of flowers You're taking to yeah. meet your sherry. That's right. So I got uh, I got this one speed version of that, and then the Filson Company makes or made a Filson bike, which was in conjunction with the Shinola Company of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Watch watch folks, right? Watch folks, but they also make fancy bikes, and Filson had them make a, a co branded fancy bike that Filson put like panniers on, and it's got. Bamboo fenders and it says Filson all over it, leather seat and so forth. Expensive. Everything's, everything is, um, uh, dipped in bronze or, oh. you know, it's, or copper. No, 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 that's right. All the, all the parts that can be are copper rather than stainless steel. And so the Filson company gave me this bike and it's expensive and it's got, what three speeds. I think that's what cruisers have these three speed things. So this Filson bike, it's adorable, but it's a riding a Filson bike around Seattle is a little bit like wearing your own band t-shirt to your own show. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, like it's not riding a Filson bike around New York or around Iowa or even uh, Venice, California. It's like, ah, that's cool. Like you from Seattle riding it around up here, I don't know. It just feels like wearing a shirt that says Seattle on it.
1: There's that. But also, now, I live on, I, I want. I want to circle back to that. So I'm making yep. a, a note. T-shirts worn in the place you are. Okay. We'll come back to that because I, I have more questions about that. Okay.
0: Uh, but it's a three-speed bike and I live in a very, very hilly town. And it just feels like – it's a lot of work just riding a bike at all in Seattle. My, my friend, uh, Mike McGinn, former Seattle mayor, he commutes everywhere on a bike. I went to an event the other day at a fancy hotel downtown and the valet guy came out to take my truck. And somehow I got into a conversation with the valet guy and he not knowing obviously that I had any connection said, you you remember Mike McGinn, the old mayor? Yeah. He used to ride up here and, and, uh, and ask us to valet park his bike. And I said, yeah, he's a, he's a colorful guy. What are you talking about? Of course, you know, that's that seems, that's funny to me. He valet park your bike. He was like, yeah, it's not funny to us. <laughs> <laughs> but there are people that ride their bikes all over Seattle. It's just like I'm not going to ride my little ring-a-ding cruiser with a basket on the front like all over Seattle. It's yeah. just that's crazy. That's not what I'm going to do. So I got this Filson bike, but I don't feel like I can put it in the barn because it's so nice. So right now it's in my house. And every day I have to go kind of around it.
1: I'm looking at a picture of the Filson. It's called the Filson Shinola Bixby bicycle. Yeah. Is it green? Yes, it is.
0: That's the one. And There's s- only the one.
1: And it it has it looks like it has some saddlebags in the back. It has a little basket in the front with that could ha- have some kind of tote on it. Yep, tote. And it looks like it's got some like you were saying. It's got some nice details. It got the Shinola and Filson branding on it. Yeah. Are these? Uh, is are the handle handles and the seat sort of? Copper? leather yeah. leather and no, they're, copper?
0: Co- they're copper and leather yeah huh.
1: i mean it's a real fancy yeah, it's, it's a real, this is super fancy
0: yeah you have to be a real pretty boy to write that around and and um and I, I, I can't am.
1: imagine i can't oh, and i mean you're not you're talking about a bell is there a little ring ring bell like oh, for yeah, real and it's and it's made of copper or i see that. it's like i ding, thought you were just mm-hmm. joshing about that but yeah no, that's it, really there
0: you hit it and it rings for an hour <laughs> and so now i'm in a position where <clears throat> this summer I'm going to feel like I got to ride this bike. I've got a little girl. I'm teaching her to ride a bike. And so I'm going to put this bike in the truck and I'm going to drive somewhere to ride a bike. And that feels – it feels a little bit like driving to the gym. You know what I mean? Like if you got to drive to the gym, why wouldn't you just – walk? why wouldn't you run or walk from here to there? You're trying to get exercise. Why would you like – Why would you drive somewhere to get exercise? It's the thing that always sticks with me. And I know it's dumb because in my own neighborhood, I don't want to walk around my neighborhood. My neighborhood's got nothing interesting in it. But there's nothing interesting about sitting on a stationary bike either. So I don't know. Heart rate, blah, 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 blah. But it always feels dumb to go (laughs) drive somewhere to work out. And it feels really dumb to drive somewhere to ride your bike.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree.
0: that's what it's that's the situation here in Seattle. There are places to ride your bike. And unless you're one of these people in in commuter togs who walks into cafes in clop clop shoes and rides their bike all year long. Like there's there's a there are bike paths that are used by commuters here. And if you if you venture onto them with your little ding ding bike you don't get yelled at because it's Seattle, right? But there are all these people with helmets that have little rearview mirrors sticking out of them, and and uh, you know spandex outfits that where they look like poliochi, except they're except it's all Gore-Tex, and they will zoom past you on their way home from work as presumably a lawyer because it just seems like the type of thing that a lawyer would do. Right, ride their bike to work. Sure, Mercer Island, right. And they zoom by you, and they give you a kind of look that's both like, "Oh, isn't that nice? You're on a bike," but it's the same look that that someone in a like an F-18 would give someone in an in an ultralight, uh-huh. you know, as they flew by, like, "Oh, that's nice. You have a five horsepower motor on a hang glider." Right. I'm in, you know, I I could shoot you down four hundred ways, and these guys go zooming by, and you just know they spend all day thinking about their bike, and I'm out there with my five-year-old on her little training wheels and we're like ding ding hi we're on bikes too no thanks so so to culminate the whole story of all the bike mistakes i've made right now i have a bike in my in the middle of my house that's kind of maybe i feel like it's too nice to use it's too nice to sit in the barn covered with spiders and I don't know what to do with it. So it's in the middle of my living room. I look at it every day. I go, there it is. There's the, there's that fancy bike that That's I got. Nice. Right. If I had a really big house where I just had a bike in them, like a, like a bike on a coffee table or something, yeah. huh? or like, I feel like I've been to somebody's house where they had a Vespa as a an objet d'art, like a Vespa kind of mounted, not mounted on the wall, but like up on a pedestal as a piece of like fascination huh. because their house was so big that they could just have a Vespa in it as a, you know, as a folly. And I admired <laughs> that. I was like, that's great. I mean, I'm sure there are people who's, well, that's, uh, I, I I went to a party one time at Dale Chihuly's. Studio over at Dale's over at Dale's. Yeah. And Dale has like an, uh, an Austin Healy 3000 just sitting in the, <laughs> oh My God, basically sitting in his living room. Like to be that, to be that big of a ding-a-ling to be a, to be such a wheel that you have a car as your, as the thing that's in the entryway. Like, oh, you know, this isn't the garage. This is just the thing that's in the entryway, this hot car. You know, that's a kind of ostentation. I guess my Filson bike is is a shabby version of it. But I just don't have the room to have a bike in the middle of the living room. My house is fucked up enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so many bikes. There are a lot of bikes. Okay, I, I want to circle back. I want to circle back to something that you, you said about t- shirts and wearing wearing t- shirts the place you are it seems like there are of of the kinds of people who would have a t-shirt for themselves or for if they were in a band or running a business or something like that. They're the kind of people who will wear their own t-shirt to promote themselves or their thing, and there's the kind that won't yeah and so if you're if you're up on stage and you're performing you're not going to as a lead of a, a leader of a band you're not going to wear your own band's t-shirt to promote almost promoting yourself while you're on stage you you wouldn't do that i feel
0: like there are a few types of people that can wear their own band shirt and like iggy pop can wear a shirt with Iggy Pop's face on it mm-hmm. and everybody's like awesome um, if uh, let's see if you were in who would I accept that from right like ACDC is not going to wear a shirt on stage that isn't pretty carefully curated they're not going to wear an ACD. nobody in ACDC is going to wear an ACDC shirt but if if uh, if Malcolm Young decided to wear an ACDC shirt, mm-hmm. I think that, that I think that would be acceptable. But the number the the list of musicians that can wear their own shirt on stage is small. It is a small group of people. And like it's the type of thing that Ozzy would do. Back in the 70s. But Ozzy has Ozzy tattooed on his own knuckles. Right. Right? Like, which is some real Jake and Elwood shit. Uh-huh. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but for an indie rock band to wear their own shirt, like there was one time on tour, we were in Germany and... I had I spilled some food on myself and it, would, it was four days without a shower and I just felt super gross and I went in the back of the truck and I went into our merch stash and I got one of our own shirts right, out and sure. I put it on because I was so gross I needed a new shirt and I walked around all day and I thought it was hilarious but I would never have gotten up on stage in it what a horrible thing I can't imagine it. And I really can't imagine there've got to be some bands I'm not thinking of that I would totally think that was rad. I just keep coming back to Iggy pop Oh, the Ramones. If you're in the Ramones, Mm. you can absolutely wear Ramones t-shirt
1: around. Do you think it's the same with, with, with other, with like companies and stuff like that? Like, if you're like the CEO of like FedEx, can you wear a FedEx T-shirt?
0: Yeah, but it, but this is back to the question that we had uh, so many, many moons ago about cool and what cool is. Right. Um, the chairman of FedEx is super uncool no matter who he is. Right. And so. yeah, he, like wearing a FedEx shirt is like the, the, the uncoolest thing in the world. Of course he's going to do right.
1: it. Not, but like with, with sports teams – when they're off the field, they're not wearing any kind of like if if you've got a guy, you know, playing for the Yankees, he's probably not going to be wearing like his Yankees cap around on the weekends.
0: thing about sports people is a long, long time ago, the entire business of sports, the entire everything about being a sports person is about having your outfits curated for you by your sponsor. Hmm. So if you have a Nike endorsement and you're a football player, you don't get, basically you don't get to choose your own clothes unless you're wearing a suit to some event. And in that case, you're wearing a four button suit because someone convinced you that that or a six button suit because somebody said some dumb tailor is like, Oh, you're a tall man. So you can wear a four-button suit. When in fact, truth is that there is no such thing as a four-button suit unless you're a sports person. They are terrible, and no, if you're a big man, you just wear a big, properly tailored suit. But if you see like a, if you see a sports figure <clears throat> relaxing, just look for the logo because you will they you will find a logo on them eventually, right? Just. Look closely enough and they will have that Nike swoosh or the Adidas stripes or something. They'll, it will be on them somewhere. So they're a bad example. And also like nobody in sports has any, has any taste almost by definition, except for Joe Namath. (laughs) Just him. Uh, Joe Namath, I think had some pretty good, he, he had some pretty
1: good outfits.
0: But I, I I do feel um, I do feel sort of profoundly that you cannot rep your own thing without looking crass, and it's it's very confusing to me because I go to a lot of these tech conferences, as you know, and a lot of these events, and the swag bags are always full of T-shirts and hats and other pieces of swag of Of companies as though, as though I would ever go out of the house wearing a shirt that advertised some widget. But then I, then I look around at these events and I see everybody is wearing a shirt advertising a widget. And I see like, oh, I get it. It's a cultural, there's a, there's a cultural gulf here. And I think a lot of it just orbits around the idea of a free shirt, right? Like, if you just, if you, if you had a swag bag and you just put free shirts in them that said, like, like, uh, I'm a whale raper, (laughs) you'd see people all around the fest just wearing them because it's a clean shirt or something. Right. Sure. Uh, or maybe I'm wrong and maybe every single one of those things is a coded reference and everybody else gets it. And they're like, Oh, well you're using that operating system. And then that's like some kind of, they square off like, like, uh, the knife fight in the Michael Jackson video <laughs> beat it. Or they, you know, they tie wrists together and right. they're like,
1: well, it's like this would be the perfect time to talk about our sponsor. It is Mac Weldon. They believe that you shouldn't just wear like a, VMware t shirt around that you should actually wear something that is cool, something that looks cool. They believe in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. And, you know, one of the things they asked us to do when we were going to be working with them and they were going to be sponsoring the show was like, Dan, go to the website and buy some stuff and see how it is. And it's a great experience. It's exactly what I want. I'm so tired of websites that make you jump through a million different hoops. Why? It's, it's 2017 and beyond. Why should we why should the shopping experience take forever and be hard to do and they they keep it simple. They make underwear, socks, t-shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants. Comfortable clothing, think of it like that. Comfortable clothing that you're going to want to wear. It's going to look good, it's going to feel comfortable. And all their stuff, they have this stuff, they have a line of silver underwear and t-shirts. They're not colored silver. They have silver thread makes them naturally antimicrobial. That means they eliminate odor because they want you to be comfortable. They want you to enjoy what you're wearing and they want it to look good. And they want the shopping experience to be like drop dead, simple, straightforward. And that's what they've done. So, and they even have a guarantee. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. That's how much Mack Weldon trusts the stuff that believes in the stuff they make and how much they trust us as customers. They make Awesome stuff that really performs well, good for working out, going out, dates, everyday life, you name it. My favorite thing that I've gotten from them is a hoodie. I don't wear hoodies a lot because a lot of the hoodies that are out there, they're just kind of cheap. They, they, they. I guess more for the look or whatever. But if I wear hoodies, because I want to be a little bit warmer. Maybe it's a little bit of a chilly day or something like that. And These things are like over-engineered in a good way. They've got like the the zippers are really grippy. They've got zippers over the pockets, which I love because I want always put my phone in my pocket. I want the thing to come out. Like the zip, the zip drawstrings are really high quality. They're um they're not just like you know junk shoelace material. They're like really nice. All of is really great quality. You can enjoy it too. MacWeldon.com. M A C K Weldon dot com. Twenty percent off using the promo code Roadwork. Listen, the next time you need a pair of the no show socks that I like, the next time you need a pair of underwear, whatever it is, instead of just going to the store down the street, give Mac Weldon a try. Use the twenty percent discount, Roadwork, uh, and go check it out. We appreciate it. You'll support the show and you'll get some great clothes in the meantime. MacWeldon.com. You know, I there's a there's a woman at my um at my gym. Every time I see her, she's in a VMware t-shirt. VMware. What is that? VMware is one of these uh, software outfits that lets you run virtualized desktop stuff. So let's say you've got a Mac and you want to run Windows. Yeah. You can run it inside of an application, like in a window. Windows itself in a window on your Mac and vice versa. I see. Oh, that's that's. I uh, thank God you told me. Now I can run Windows in my Mac. I know, at, or and without rebooting, and and you can also do stuff in the data center space where you can use you know virtual virtual servers and things like that. So it's it's a it's a cool thing. But you know, I'm like I wonder why is she wearing the VMware shirt. Does she work at VMware? Maybe because I think there is a VMware office here in Austin, and maybe that's you know. But it's always like it's always the same one. It's always the same shirt the same one vmware shirt and i mm-hmm. figure that i figure she decided to wear it because i haven't asked her maybe i'll ask her but i figure that she probably decided to wear it because she's like well i and she's new also i should mention that she's new to the gym i've been going for about a year she's been going for a couple of weeks uh-huh. a and noob. I, I feel like she's in that stage where she hasn't yet committed really deeply on a on a a deeply personal level, she hasn't said this is for me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stick with this. At mm-hmm. that point, then you see people start to go overboard and come in, and now they've got like the Under Armour shirts and just the you know just the right like. Well, I might be doing deadlifts, so I got to go and get the special deadlift compression socks and the certain oh, kind dear. of shoes that I've got to have. And, and with the special laces, I'm going to go get my own belt for when I do this and you know, like then they go in that, and then the next stage after that is yeah, I didn't need any of that crap. I just wear whatever t-shirt and, but there's these different stages and yeah. she's in that early stage. I think where she hasn't like committed to it yet, and, yeah. but it's what other t-shirts she's going to wear. She's not going to wear one of her nice t-shirts. Cause you know, you're lifting free weights and roll, you know, stretching on the floor and whatever else. So this VMWare shirt is now the, you know the the shirt of choice. I remember being there. I had a Squarespace t shirt uh-huh. that I just wore uh-huh. for that, uh-huh. and that was the only place I ever wore it was to the gym, just in the beginning. But like, it she's got to be an engineer, right? Maybe, or maybe like maybe her husband got it for, her, or maybe her wife got it for, her, or maybe she got it at a. She was at some event and they were handing them out. Like, who, who, but you can tell this isn't her regular. Like, she's not going to pick up the VMware shirt and wear it out, uh, in, uh, you know, like going, she's not going to go shopping in the VMware shirt. She's not going to yeah, go to right, have right. lunch with a friend and pick the VMware shirt. It's only going to the gym. Right, and, right. and so her it's gym like, I, shirt. yeah. And I, so I wonder, like, what the rules are. Like, I have, I, I won once. Once wore a five by five t-shirt one time and it was right after we had moved to Austin and we were waiting for a bunch of the stuff that we were moving for the movers to bring it and unpack it. And I had only brought like three or four shirts and then I had a bunch of five by five shirts that I had sold and then I had like a couple extras and I was like, well, we're going to this 4th of July thing. I'm just going to grab one of these and I'll put it on. And I felt like I felt weird because like I have no, like I have a Roderick on the line, t uh, t-shirt. Yeah. You should wear
0: that all the time. I
1: wear, I do. And uh, sometimes a gym and it, uh, it, you know, like I don't mind wrapping that, but like, I feel like somehow if it's your thing, then it's it you have to be doing it in like a humorous ironic way or else mm, I don't
0: even think you can I don't think you can do a humorous ironic thing like you could see the guys in the strokes wearing a strokes t-shirt <laughs> on stage because they were kind of they had that much swagger when they first showed up and <clears throat> that much sort of like maybe we're the
1: maybe we're the Ramones would, you know? Um, I guess you got to ask yourself, like, like, can you? Can you? I don't know. I just think it's ill advised. I think it's ill advised to wear the thing that you're. Now, what about Jack Nicholas? He's got those. Uh, that isn't that his brand that with the shark on it. Well, there was some golfer from
0: Australia who was like a shark guy that I think had the shark logo.
1: Yeah, Jack Nicholas. Uh, no, it's not uh, a, no, Greg they, Norman. They, norman yeah greg norman hat, thank you hat. yeah and greg norman had the shark
0: uh yeah but greg norman is like the biggest tool you ever saw I mean, right and i'm gonna see say him,
1: he wears the shark hat he wears the shark course. shirt and that's what i that's like exactly what I, I would be afraid of is that all of a sudden you're like oh he's just promoting his own brand out there with a hat and a thing and
0: well, you watch the professional poker players and they're all sponsored by online poker companies and they post they, they paste rather these giant, like pokerallstars.com, you know, <laughs> big, they just basically slap this stuff right on their forehead because I guess they're getting paid enough money to do it. I mean, I don't know. Like if you're playing poker for a million dollars, I guess what happens is that these companies pay for their buy-in to be in the tournament. And so the condition is like, oh, you got to sit there like a dummy and be a billboard for our stupid company. And what's hilarious is there's not that many of them. So six guys sitting at the same table and there, they all are, they all have pokerallstars.com slapped on their forehead. It's like, why don't we just, you know, why don't, why don't they just put pokerallstars.com and just sort of ghost it out over the entire screen. And then we can watch the we can watch the poker game but it will also just we'll have to look through a right. poker all-stars sign to see it no i feel like branding there was a there was a time in the 80s where branding was something that we talked about a lot we were all really worried about it and it was it was largely around nike and like this massive explosion of, of branding on everything. Like I absolutely remember when like IZOD shirts were a little bit before my time in, the, in, in, in that, that little alligator, which I kind of think of as being the first sort of flag of that kind. Yeah. You know, like, like whatever, the Brooks Brothers little f- golden fleece existed as their label. But I, I, I don't it wasn't think on, it, it was. It wasn't
1: an emblem on the shirt.
0: Yeah. And so the alligator was the first one that I was conscious of. And that was what the older boys were wearing when I was a younger boy. But when I came into high school, it was the polo pony, Ralph Lorenz polo. And that pony mattered a lot to kids. But there just weren't that many <clears throat> things like that. Like about halfway through high school, Desant, the Japanese ski wear manufacturer, the Desant logo was on things for a little bit. But that was a very ski-specific thing. And I guess Desant has become even more of a bicycle thing now. But it was a very specific ski thing then. But somewhere in there, like this Nike swoosh just just went across the land and i remember in the early 90s i was talking to this gal um and she had you know this was sort of the beginning of the tattoo era too and she had a nike swoosh tattooed on her back really on her like left shoulder blade or something like nike swoosh and i was just like whoa it's all coming true it's like the barcode on our
1: foreheads, man seriously oh
0: she's got a nike swoosh and you know and this was i mean this and and she was not a neo-futurist doing it as a political statement she was just like i love nike she was a little jock you know a little jock person sure nike yeah (laughs) and you remember during the wto protests like we were protesting Nike because of their slave labor in China or whatever. But what, what, what like an underpinning of it was that they were commercializing the world with their, with their, um, you know, omnipresent branding. But that branding conversation is so, it's just like so many of the conversations we used to have. Nobody gives a shit anymore.
1: Everything's branded. Oh, yeah. I had friends who back in the late 90s, early 2000s, were uh, had were really close to moving uh, out of the United States to go to. I think they were going to go to New Zealand because yeah. of all the branding and advertising. Oh, yeah. That, and yeah, that was, was their number one reason. They wanted to have kids. They didn't want their helpless children to get exposed to oh, branding. branding. Yeah. There's too much branding. But in New Zealand, no branding.
0: Nick Harmer, uh, the bass player of Death Cab for Cutie, a good friend of mine and a wonderful man, at one point in the early 2000s put a piece of tape over the word "Fender" on his bass guitar. Oh man! Which was clearly a Fender guitar. Like, <laughs> there's only like there's only a couple kinds of guitars, and the Fenders are the big you know one of the two big ones. Right. And it was obviously a Fender guitar having the. Having the name Fender was not like, I don't think really like, <laughs> like <super>. compromising Nick's <laughs> yeah, integrity. I know. But but at that moment, he felt like putting the name Fender out there in, in pictures of himself or on stage was like unnecessary free advertising for them or un, it, like it didn't matter, right? His bass playing is what mattered, not that he was playing a Fender. And so he put a piece of tape over the word Fender now i it's just like that just seems like so long ago right compared to the question of i mean going to comic con and having like everything's got 40 brands on it people are literally like heating up irons in a fire and branding themselves actually <laughs> with the you know with like the logo of of uh
1: the, Reb, the Rebel Star thing. Wars logo isn't. Is yeah, the Star
0: Wars logo. logo. Oh my God, that never <laughs> existed before, and now is supposedly a thing that we all care about. <laughs> this thing that looks like a weird uh, it, that Star Wars logo looks like a uh, like a biohazard, right? right? Isn't yeah. that sort of similar yeah, to? Yeah, I
1: can go with
0: that. E- either a biohazard symbol or or one of those strange sort of quote unquote tribal tattoos that people used to get that mm-hmm. sort of seemed Maori. Uh, Like, you know, South Pacific Island sort of, but, but, but just as interpreted by an Irish guy, (laughs) but I still see those all the time where it's like, is that really, what tribe exactly is that from? Like, are you, are you a South Pacific Island warrior? You are not. So stop doing that. Whatever you're doing there, stop. And you're vaguely, vaguely Celt, vaguely Celt. (laughs) yeah so i don't know dan like i do i don't i guess i am still i mean i i talk about the filson company a lot and have for a long time because it was a it was just a thing that i that i that i cared about and i do i do look at the labels of things when i'm in thrift stores and it matters to me who made it and it matters because of a complicated set of ideas that i'm bringing to it that a lot of them are just are just ideas just fake ideas or ideas that that i have stirred up right like i look at a i look at the label of a shirt and i go this is made by a company that I admire during an era that I admire their craftsmanship. And so this shirt matters. Whereas this sh- neighboring shirt, which is indistinguishable from it in a- by any consideration other than like, if you wanted to get down and look at the stitches, but really I'm looking at the label of it. And I know from its label that I do not care about it. And, and I'm just, I'm bringing so much to that game so much history to it and so much just like what matters and what doesn't matter. You know, if I wanted, if I want a white shirt, like I don't just go buy a white shirt or whatever, you know, like I have friends that just have like six shirts, you know what I mean? And I have 150 shirts or something. (laughs) And every one of them, I could go in and sit and look at the label and tell you all about it. You know, like, oh, this is this and that's this and it was made there and this is what that means. But I don't wear a lot of things that have a logo. In fact, I can't think of anything I wear that has a logo. I mean, even the Filson stuff, like you have to get down and look at the button to see the mean,
1: Is this a conscious decision that you've made? You don't want to wear the logo or is it simply you gravitate away from that?
0: Yeah, the era of things that I like, the style that I am trying to project is one from before branding. Mm-hmm. So the things that I choose are all either actually manufactured before anyone would consider putting a, a – a, like a brand on a thing mm-hmm. or are manufactured now in that style. Um, but – Yeah. When I am, when I am picking things for myself from the giant pile that's out there in the world, um, I mean, tennis shoes are the one thing that you cannot escape branding because they put like the whole design of the shoe is around the logo. And that's true. I think of every kind of shoe. You can look at most tennis shoes and see, you know, oh, that's a Saucony or an Asics or, you know, like you can tell what they are. And I don't have a lot of tennis shoes. But other than that, no, I, people can look at the things I'm wearing and tell what they are if they know what those things are. But I wouldn't buy a thing or wear a free thing that had a sign on it. That said oh the other exception is the fucking polo pony because i have a lot of those shirts and the polo pony is just on there and i forget it's there and i'm sure there are people that look at it and think that it is conveying but i don't know what ralph loren conveys to anybody anymore it just seems like it became so ubiquitous that it's really funny dan i there was a time at thrift stores when you would see a Ralph Lauren shirt and it would be a it was like wow look at that like that's a real Ralph Lauren shirt here at the thrift store they were rare to find but now you go to a thrift store and there's 800 of them so they don't symbolize anything anymore I guess